Amen, amen. John chapter 5, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Jesus is speaking. He says, if you believe my word and you believe in him who sent me, you have everlasting life. We need the word of God. Somebody say amen. It means that we've passed from death into life and we've begun living beyond the grave. That's the title of our series is Living Beyond the Grave. To pass from death into life. 1 John 3.14 says, we know that we've passed from death into life. See, the, the great thing about God is that he tells you what has happened, and then he tells you how to confirm that it's happened, right? He's saying, if you believe in my word and you believe in him who sent me, you've passed from death into life. And then he says, this is how you'll know. This is the test. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. See, the love of the brethren is proof that you've passed from death into life. See, I kind of mentioned it. And again, I love all the people that, that came to church on Sunday. And hopefully we'll see them at Christmas. <laughs> but they love themselves. They don't love the brethren. You see how that works? I don't come to church just for myself. A large part of it is for myself because I love Jesus and I want to be in his presence. But I come for you guys because I love the brethren. See, Jesus says, you know you've passed from death into life when you go beyond just yourself and what you want and these moments of wanting to encounter him to not only a love for God, but a love for the brethren, a love for the church, a love for the body, and you cannot live without it. It was exciting to see Easter. You always want visitors, but you know what was cool about Easter? There was only a few visitors. It was mostly people that belonged to the church, and sometimes they're just here, sometimes they're not. It was this, for me, it was encouraging, saying, man, Lord, you know what? If your people that already know you would just engage, imagine what you can do. If you're one of the people, recently, some people have been giving their lives to the Lord. Uh, people have been rededicating their lives to the Lord. Had some great conversations over the last couple of weeks. I want to encourage you guys. Gary mentioned our, our app. Um, the Salvation 101 course, please get in there and do it. I'm telling you that by the time you finish Salvation, this course you will know more about salvation and you will be, have more confidence in your salvation than you do right now. I've been saved for 13 years, something like that now. And having created the course and gone through the course and done the readings, I'm more secure and excited about my salvation now than I've ever been. I want to encourage you guys. It's for you, right? It's not for us. We're not going to be able to tell somebody, look how many people did the course. It's so that you would understand your salvation, that you would have clarity. He says it's about his word. Let me get into this. Living beyond the grave after Easter. There's something after Easter. Why don't we say that? Say after Easter. All right. Dr. Luke. Luke was a doctor. He wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. Dr. Luke writes in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began. Say began. I thought it was the end. I thought it was over. It's funny that what Luke is saying is, I'm writing, the scriptures that we read are just what Jesus began to do. He says, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days 
and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with him, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. After Easter, it says that Jesus rose and for 40 days he walked around with holes in his hands talking about the kingdom of heaven. Could you imagine that? Walked around and all the things that he could do, all the things that he could talk about, he wanted to talk about the kingdom of heaven. These angels are telling the men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring up into heaven? Go live. Go do something. There's no point in standing here and staying here. He's gone to heaven for a reason. Get out of this place. Get out of this spot. Get moving. There's something beyond Easter. There's something beyond the resurrection. The original picture that we had was of a coffin and a group of people who believe life can be found on this side of death, on this side of the coffin, on this side of the grave, and they live for it. They search for it. They strive for it. They kill for it. They work overtime for it. As much as they can experience on that side of the grave. Then we said there's another group of people who see the grave and then they see something beyond the grave. They see a risen Lord. They see love. They see joy. They see not worried about 10%. They see uh, conviction about things that don't honor God. They see fruitfulness abounding in their life beyond the grave. And then that middle group, we said, was a group of people who see the, the, the importance of coming to Christ and dying, but they don't live beyond the grave. They stop right there. I'm a Christian, but I'm a dead Christian. I live at the cemetery. I live in the coffin. I stand there gazing up into heaven saying, Jesus, when are you going to come back? What are you going to do? I want to talk about three stories this morning from the 40 days of risenness. Three stories of living beyond the grave. Three stories of what happened after Easter. Three stories of what took place in the 40 days where Jesus was still here after uh, being risen from the grave, risen from the dead. I think our faith would be, would be interesting. I would still believe it's, it's God and it's his plan. But wouldn't it be interesting if nobody saw him? Everyone just said he rose. Nobody ever found his body. But God knows better. He says, no, I'm going to hang out for 40 days. Remove all doubt and all questions. So the first of the, of the three stories, number one, is a meeting at the coffin. A meeting at the coffin. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to him, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. You know, the Bible says that by two or three witnesses, a thing is established, right? Because one person is going to just straight lie to you. But two people, hopefully, will be able to tell the truth. Isn't it funny that when the disciples were standing there looking up into heaven, it says that two men appeared to them? And here these women come to the tomb, and these two men appear to them, again, establishing some truth. He ain't here. He's risen. Stop looking for those who are living among the dead. You know what happens in our lives? We go looking to the dead and hoping that we receive life. I didn't, I didn't make Gary testify what he testified this morning, but I'm sitting there smiling. You know, it would have been easy for him to call somebody who's dead and ask them, what do you think about my taxes? It would have been easy for him to call somebody and, and who's dead and say, what do you think about me giving into the kingdom of God? But why would you go looking for life among the dead? You might not hear what you want to hear, but I guarantee you it'll lead you to life. These angels are telling these women, look, you came to a cemetery. You came to a coffin. You came to a grave. If you came looking for the living, why are you in the place of the dead? They're not here. You know what they came for? They came to mourn and anoint a dead body. That's why they came. They saw him crucified. They cried and they wept. They went home all day Saturday and they cried and they wept. They're not allowed to leave the house. They're not allowed to journey to the tomb because it's the Sabbath, right? They still have this concept of the law of God and what they can and cannot do. So they cried all day Saturday. Then on Sunday, as early as they could, they went to go mourn some more and cry and weep and to anoint a dead body. They were hoping somebody would move the stone away from the grave so that they could walk in with spices and oils and put it onto the dead, broken, bruised, slashed up, whole on that dead body. But what, is, what does Jesus say? That's not the plan I have for you. And that definitely ain't the plan I have for me. I didn't come to this world. I didn't die for your sins so that we can mourn and have another funeral service and funeral procession to come and anoint a dead body. I came for you to have life. He ain't here. He's risen, they say. When you come into church, we don't come to a coffin. We don't come to a tomb to mourn the death of our Savior. We come to the Lord's house where the resurrected king lives to rejoice and to enjoy our time with him. You know how many people go into tombs every Sunday? Into coffins every Sunday to come and mourn a dead God who's not alive in their life and not doing anything in their life? Jesus says, that's not the plan I have for you, and that's definitely not the plan I have for me. I'm risen. Listen to how John describes it. Same story, John chapter 20, verse 12. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. There's two witnesses again, right? Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Isn't, aren't you glad you have four Gospels? I wish everybody, never mind, I'm going to get myself in trouble. 
If you need one, I can tell you where to get one. We got them in the app. They got them at the store. You can get them online. They're amazing. She's, when she said that, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. So these same two witnesses, these same two angels are declaring to her again, he's risen. And then Jesus appears to her, right? Why do we have the gospel? Why do we have preachers? Why do people need Bible studies? Why do we need to give out tracts? Why do we need to evangelize? Why do we need to outreach? Because there has to be witnesses. People who know the truth and have seen the truth and know the risen Lord have to tell people who haven't, he's risen, he's not dead. And when people come to believe that he's risen and he's not dead, guess what? He appears to them. Does that make sense this morning? She comes looking for the dead king. They tell her he's not dead, he's alive. When she believes it, when she can receive that, then he appears to her. She can't recognize him, doesn't know that it's him, but she still wants him. And then he calls her by name. Isn't it amazing? See, most of us have a testimony of having a concept of who God is and who Jesus is and a concept of the cross. But there's something different once you've actually been saved and you come into a real relationship with the resurrected king. He's not the one that you used to know. He's not the one that you heard about on this side of the grave. I don't know about the rest of you, but the Jesus I used to believe in, the one I used to say that, that uh, I'm a Christian and all that kind of stuff, when I really got saved, he looked completely different. He was not what I had heard about. He was not what I had talked about. He was not a Bible somewhere in the house that I had never read. He was something more than that. And isn't it interesting that Mary, even this woman that knew him, loved him, had a relationship with him, after the resurrection, she couldn't even recognize him. You know why? Because he's different. He's more on this side of the grave than he is on that side of the grave. He tells her, even after he reveals himself to her, he calls her by name so she knows this is God. This is Jesus. This is my Savior. I don't recognize you because you're different and you're more, but I know who you are. I know that you know me by name. Then he tells her, don't cling to me. Because she's excited, she runs to him, she holds on to him, probably starts kissing his feet again. And he says, don't cling to me. Wouldn't you think he'd be saying, come to me, cling to me, never let go, hold on tight. It's going to be a crazy ride. What is he telling her? He's saying, listen, Mary, I love you, and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that the women recognize how important I am and they come to the tomb even with the wrong idea while these buster men are somewhere else crying. At least you're here. But he says, don't cling to me. Why? He says, because I haven't risen to the Father yet. If you cling to me now, we're still just going to be close. I was close to you before. I ate with you before. We held hands before. We prayed together before. And if you cling to me now, we're still just going to be close. But what I want to do is ascend to my Father so that I can send my spirit to live inside of you. Don't cling to me now. Cry out for my spirit to come live inside of you. 
There's a lot of people who just want to be close to God, just want to feel his touch from time to time. He says, no, I came to give you more than that. I want to live inside of you. Colossians 1.26 says this, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now, say now, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's saying in the past, nobody had an idea or concept that God was going to come and live inside of you. All the prophets, all the saints, everybody who ever believed, everybody that was ever called, the Moseses, the Abrahams, right? Joseph, everybody, nobody had an idea that God would say, you know how crazy I am? I'm going to come and live inside of you. And he says, but now in this, what's been hidden from all the generations, God has made us aware that the real hope of glory is God to come live inside of you. You don't have to say, hey, Pastor Vaughn told me this. Abraham told me that. Moses said if we go in this direction, we're going to be okay. God says, I'll come live inside of you and confirm everything. I'll write my laws and my word and my love on your heart and on your mind. Christ in us. I think the most important thing is to know the word enough to know what you should be seeking. If you're seeking just to know more word, if you're seeking just to make it to more services, if you're seeking just to stop doing some of the things that you've done in the past, you're missing it. You should be seeking the presence of God. You should be calling out, God, come dwell and live inside of me and confirm my salvation and my forgiveness. Anybody could get good at going to church. The Bible says that demons know that Jesus is God and they tremble at his name. Just because you know that Jesus is God doesn't mean that you're saved. Just because you know that there is a God and you think it might be a he or a she, you definitely are not saved. This person told me, I'm trying not to give too much information, but they asked me to do something for them. And I told them, again, they picked the wrong day. It was Easter. I said, hey, as a Christian and as a pastor, I cannot do that. It doesn't mean I don't like you. It doesn't mean I don't care about you. But I will not do that because I can't do that. I'm a Christian. That's all there is to it. And they said, well, doesn't your God say to love everybody? I said, yeah, he says to love everybody and to pray, and to pray for your enemies. He also says that there's only one way to, to the Father and to heaven, which is through him. And he was like, oh, he says that? Well, yeah. <laughs> Our God gave us a book. Your God's whack. <laughs> so number one, a meeting at the coffin. Right? They come there to, to spend time at the coffin, to anoint a dead body. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I have something else. I have life for you. I'll speak to you. I'll call you by name on this side of the grave, the other side of the grave. And then I tell you not to cling to me because I'm going to send my spirit to live in you. <clears throat> Number two, you're going the wrong way. Remember, these are things that are happening when he's risen. First, he has to meet with the people who should know and tell them, hey, this ain't uh, come anoint a dead body. This is come rejoice for the living one. Then he has to tell some other people you're going the wrong way. One of probably my favorite stories in all the Bible, Luke chapter 24, Dr. Luke again, verse 13. It says, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day, first day of the week, Sunday, he just got crucified, right? That same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. 
Seven represents what? Completion, which means they're going the complete wrong direction. Seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Imagine, you're just walking to the mall, and some random person starts walking with you. <laughs> Sometimes we miss the irony and, like, the craziness of the stories. It doesn't say, like, he was like, hey, fellas, where are you headed? Nothing. It just all of a sudden Jesus draws near and starts going with them. Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. So they're walking, they're talking, Jesus shows up. They don't know that he's Jesus. Why? Same reason that the women didn't know. Because he's different after the resurrection as he, than he was before the resurrection. And what did the Bible say when we started today? As he is, so are we. Are we different after the resurrection? Do the same old people recognize us as the same old people? Don't get me in trouble. Listen to what they tell Jesus. Don't you know what happened to you? <laughs> Don't you know what happened to Jesus? He was so good. He was so powerful. And we were hoping that he was going to be our deliverer. We were hoping that he was going to be our savior. Can you imagine telling the savior and telling the deliverer that you think he's dead, but you were hoping he would help you? These stories in the Bible are so amazing because they still happen today. We still do what these are doing right here. Verse 22. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Lord, please, please help us to listen to praying women. These women went. They're witnessing it, and they're telling the men, and the men are going the complete wrong direction. Lord, help me not get in trouble today. Then he said to them, oh, excuse me, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Verse 25, then he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is preaching from the scriptures about himself to people. But we don't want to read the Bible. Verse 28. Then they drew near the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, 
abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. You know, if you ask Jesus to stay with you, he'll stay. But if you tell him, hey, hey, I'm home, and I, we don't really need you in here, you can go ahead and stay outside or go on back, he'll go. Oh, hey, hey this is me and my, my girl, this is what we're going to do. We don't need you here for this, Jesus, he'll go. Oh, this is my, this is my little habit, I don't, I don't really need you here for this, he'll go. But you know, if you ask him to stay, he'll stay. And he'll keep ministering to you. So he went in to stay with them because they asked, verse 30, it came to pass as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. They told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So these guys are going the wrong direction, the complete wrong direction, seven miles from Jerusalem, and Jesus shows up, meets them where they are, and he redirects their lives. Just like the women at the tomb who couldn't recognize him, these men couldn't recognize him, even though he had, they had known him on the other side of the grave. I love that after the resurrection, Jesus thinks that these two guys are important enough to track them down and redirect them. He's defeated death. He's conquered the grave. He's shown his love, God's love for humanity. And what does he want to do? Picks these two guys to go track them down and redirect them because they're going the wrong way. That's love. The fact that you're here this morning, it doesn't matter what you've been through, what you're going through, or what's ahead of you. You know what the fact that you're here this morning means? That God loves you enough to track you down and redirect you. Think about that, amen? Amen. He loves us enough to track us down and redirect us. And how does he do it? He does it with his word. Jesus showed up to these people, these men walking the wrong direction, talked to them about why do you feel the way that you feel? What are you going through? What, what is your issue? They tell him, hey, we just experienced some really tough things in our lives. And he doesn't go into why they feel that way and how to help them. And, and let me, he says, he says that he started telling him about his word from Moses. Genesis. He opened the word of God to them and began to preach about himself to them. Then it says, once they were hearing the word and they wanted more and they said, stay with us, that he had communion with them. He took bread and he broke it. So when they had the word and they had communion, their eyes were open and they said, oh God, this is Jesus. And then he's gone. He vanishes. In my walk with the Lord... I know that the Spirit of God lives inside of me, 
but there's these moments, these, these, uh, these times where Jesus just seems to appear so clearly and his hand is so strong and his word is so loud and his vision is so clear. I love those moments. But what are those moments supposed to show us? What is our response supposed to be in those moments? Think about the moments that these people are having in the 40 days after resurrection. These women show up to the tomb. They're crying. They want to mourn. They want to anoint the dead body. All of a sudden, Jesus is alive, and they didn't really understand that. Then he shows them, Mary, it's me, and there's supposed to be a response. That moment is over. These two men are going the wrong direction. Jesus shows up. He reveals himself to them in his word and in communion. They see that it's him. Oh, my God, he's alive, and then he's gone. That moment is over. In our lives, when we have those moments, what is the response supposed to be after he appears and shows himself and we say, oh, God, you're alive, but then he seems to be gone? Verse 31 and 33 tell us what we're supposed to do. Their eyes were open. They knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were gathered with them together. What we're supposed to do when we have these moments, when he appears, when his love is so good and his hand is so strong, his word is so clear, we're supposed to remember that he's alive, redirect ourselves, and go back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the house of God, the city of God, the place of peace. And we're supposed to go gather with the brethren and testify about how good he is. That's what they did. They didn't wait. It says that very moment. You don't have to wait for Sunday. You don't have to wait for Wednesday. Call a Christian and show up. Call somebody and say, you know what? God just met me. It's been a while. I've been feeling dead. I've been at the tomb, but I saw him today. I felt him today. I'm encouraged today. I need help today. If we're paying attention, we see these things happening all around us. And then check out what happens when they do that. When they all gathered together, it says, they went back to Jerusalem. I don't know how long it took them to go seven miles. Maybe they were running. I've been running lately. It takes me 10 minutes to go one mile. So however fast they are, they run all the way back to Jerusalem. They walk into the house. You guys won't believe what just happened to us. We saw Jesus. And they said, you won't believe what happened to us. We saw Jesus. And they're excited and they're telling each other. And then what happens? Jesus shows up again for everybody. When you come to church, when I come to church, when I get to meet with you guys, I expect Jesus to show up. I saw him this week already. My hope is that you come to testify when we praise, when we worship, when we pray, right? When we come to open his word and we begin to share about what God is doing, our expectation is that he would just show up here for us, that you would begin to feel something. And then he tells them, don't be afraid. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit that you need to fear. Listen to what Jesus says. I'm real. Touch me. Handle me. I love our God that says, handle me. I'm going to just keep talking about this poor person that tried to talk to me on Easter. Oh, you serve the God that never says, handle me? Oh, you serve the God that just you think exists out there somewhere, but you can't touch him? You serve a God that's not willing to humble himself and become a man like you're a man? Your God is whack. Look at my God. He says, I ain't just a ghost. I'm real. Touch me. Handle me. Eat with me. I want to break bread with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to be more real to you than any other person ever has been or ever will be. Man, he's a good God. 
Listen to how John describes it again. Thank God for multiple gospels. John chapter 20, verse 20, 2020. Can we see it clearly? Come on. John 2020 says, when he had said this, he showed them, it's, it's a different gospel, but they're there in, the, in the, uh, the room with all the disciples together. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. You only get part of the story in one of the Gospels. Please keep reading. He said, don't be afraid. Stop being scared. You have nothing to cry about or to worry about. I'm real. I'm not a spirit. Touch me. Handle me. Then when they touch him and they handle him and they're close with him, he says that he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. He says, look, if you're far from me or if you're afraid, if you don't want to be with the risen one, you can't receive my spirit. You've got to engage with me. You've got to come close, close enough for me to breathe on you. And then he breathes on them and says, receive my spirit. Why is this so important? Because we have life on this side of the grave and then we have life beyond the grave. In the new birth, it's a furthering of everything that was foreshadowed in your original or your first birth. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, this is the beginning. Genesis 2, 7 says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So when we're first born and when we're Adam, we all get life from God still. We get this uh, from the dust of the ground. He breathes life into us, but that life is going to expire. That life is going to die because of sin. That life is not abundant life. That's just enough. You're breathing to death, literally. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus says, look, I had to come. I had to live. I had to die. I had to rise. I had to engage you again. You had to believe in me as risen. And then I had to breathe on you that you could have life abundantly. What you had before was just a form of life, a shadow of life, a dying light. What I want to breathe into you now to my disciples after the resurrection on this side of the grave is life that never dies. It's life more abundant. It's the life that will conquer the grave. I have to breathe that into you. Man, he's good. I want that life. I have that life, but I want more of it. The life that goes beyond the grave. We don't know when we're going to breathe our last breath here. But I know as soon as that last breath is breathed here, I'm going to breathe my first breath in my new body that will not get tired and its back won't hurt. It won't get headaches. It won't get angry with people. I'm trying to lose some weight. So I was at the gym yesterday in the morning. I ran on the treadmill. I got off and I tried to stretch because my body hurts, so I'm stretching. And this kid, I could tell he was new working at the gym because he was talking to some people. And he tried to move me. I was trying to stretch. And he was like, excuse me, sir. Um, I need this area for a class I'm about to set up. I said, well, when do you need it? And he said, he looked at his watch. He said, six minutes. I said, I got about three more minutes worth of stretching, man. I'll be done. I'll be out of your way. And then like his supervisor tried to roll up on me all swole. <laughs> he was like, sir, we need the area. <laughs> we need the area and I got angry you know why 
because I was tired. I had already come to the gym on Saturday morning when I wanted to sleep in. I had already run. I was almost done with my stretching. I had told the guy I'd be out of his way. And then this guy's making me angry. I was like, I told him I'd be out of here in three minutes. And then I walked. I, I finished. I got up, finished my stretching somewhere else, went into the locker room. And I was like, dang, that was not Christian. Why did you behave like that? Why did you get angry? And then why did you respond to this guy like that? Like, that's not right. You know why? Because I'm a sinner and I'm in a fallen body and I have a fallen mind, right? I don't have that beyond the grave body and mind and life yet, but I'm so excited and looking forward to it. You know what I mean? Sir, we need the area. <laughs> Let me go on to the last story. Before I go on to the last story, I want to read what John says. John chapter 20, verse 30. John writes his whole gospel, and at the end, the last couple verses, it says, John 20, 30. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You could not receive a more encouraging promise ever. John says this, Jesus did so many things that if I wanted to, I couldn't write them all. It was on our Facebook page. For those of you that don't have it, get the Facebook page. Another scripture says, Jesus did so many things that if we wrote them all, all the books in the world could not contain what he did. That's amazing. So listen to what these writers filled with the Holy Spirit are saying. John says, I wrote these ones specifically filled by the Holy Spirit. It's specifically written that if you would read this, you would believe. And if you'd believe, you'd have life in Jesus. If you need a place to start reading, read the Gospel of John. He says, I wrote it that you would believe. You don't get, you cannot get a better promise than that. And then when you're done reading John, read 1 John. You know what he says about that one? He says, I wrote this to confirm that you've been saved. <laughs> I mean, does it get easier? Those of us that used to cheat on tests, thank God for your forgiveness. But, like, that's not even this easy, right? When you, when you used to cheat on a test, me and my friends, even in college, God help me, I wasn't saved. Me and my friend that used to cheat, we were both athletes, and I forgot what test it was, what class it was, but we had stadium seating in the class, and I was like, bro, Whose test are you looking at? Because he was like staring at me. He's like the person in the third row. I'm like, man, we're in like the ninth row. How do you see down there? He's like, I saw her grades. She gets good grades. So I'm like, all right, bro, you look down there. I'll look just one seat over at you. <laughs> but even that ain't as easy as this. John said, look, you don't even have to cheat. It's an open book test. <laughs> and if you read it, you'll believe. And then he says, when you're done reading this one, if you flip over to 1 John, I'll write some more stuff so you'll know if you actually believed and are saved. Please don't depend on Sundays and Wednesdays. They're great for you. Praise God for that. But you have your own. Last one, number three. Number one, a meeting at the coffin. Remember the ladies, they show up at the tomb. Number two, you're going the wrong way, the road to Emmaus, right? But Jesus loves them enough to stop them and redirect them. Last one this morning, number three, waiters and waiters. Waiters and waiters. I'll tell you in a second. John chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, 
And this way he showed himself. Oh, I can't even, I can't even go any further real quick. The Sea of Tiberias, we went to uh, um, Israel in 2014, February of 2014, I believe it was. And I got to go to this place. It's the Sea of Galilee, but on one side is the city of Tiberias. And when you read the scriptures and it says that you are a city on a hill, right, that cannot be hidden. When we came into this area, we came in at night and the tour bus said, hey, we're right, we're, we're driving around the Sea of Galilee right now. And when you looked out the windows, you could see a city on a hill with lights going all the way up to the top of it. He said, that's the city of Tiberias. It's like, man, this is for real. If you get a chance, don't go to the club. Don't go to Vegas. Don't go to, to wherever it is that you want. Don't go to Havasu. Save your money and go to Israel. <laughs> go somewhere. See what God has done. These things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in, and in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Debedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he removed it. He plunged into the sea, but the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. He's breaking bread and fish again. The same thing is happening. They can't really recognize who he is. I hope we're getting the picture this morning that after the resurrection, he's a little bit different. He's a little bit more, right? You need to listen to his word to really know that it's him for him to open your eyes. It says that they're sitting there eating fish with him, and they're thinking to themselves, hey, man, I know this is Jesus, but you want to ask him? He seems to keep showing up and leaving, right? This says this is the third time that he's shown up to them. So he'll show up, and then he'll leave. He'll show up, and you can't really recognize him, but you know it's him, and then he's gone. See, waiting on the Lord between his appearances are hard. It's hard to do that in that in-between time. It's hard to wait on God in between his appearances in your life. When he shows up and you're crying at the altar, oh, it's all good. But when you haven't really seen him for a couple months, it's hard to wait on the Lord. It's hard to be patient. 
It's hard to do what we know we should be doing between those times of him appearing to us. Verse 3 says this. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. Number three is called waiters versus waiters for this reason. Simon Peter was a fisherman. That's what he did as a profession when Jesus called him. That was his old life. And he was with a bunch of fishermen, right? So in between God appearing to him after the resurrection once and waiting for him to appear again, he went back to his old life. He couldn't wait on the Lord to show up again. So instead of waiting on God, he started wading back in the water. I'm going to just wade back into my old life a little bit. I'm just going to go back to those familiar waters and just hang out a little bit. I'll wait over here for the next wave of God to come. How many of us have these moments with God and we're on this side of the grave and God is good and he's touching us and healing us and helping us. Then we haven't seen him for a week or two or a month. For some of us, like an hour, and we're already waiting. <laughs> but when we haven't seen him and we're supposed to be waiting on the Lord, we start drifting back, touching the water a little bit. Oh, I remember that. I remember that water. Oh, you remember when we used to fish with the oldies on? Remember? Remember? Come on. Just a little bit. And then Peter's like, forget it, I'm going fishing. The other one's like, I'm going with you. And there they are in the water waiting. We're just going to do what we used to do. We're just going to do what we used to do. See, waiting is different than waiting. Waiting is when you're over there back in your water. Waiting is an active word. Some of you have heard me preach on this before. When it says wait on the Lord, it doesn't mean sit and wait on the Lord. It means like when you go to a restaurant and you get mad when you've been sitting for three minutes and nobody's come to wait on you, it means that when you sit down there, you want to be served and a waiter has to come to you and say, can I help you? Are you ready to order? Would you like some more water? Do you need a refill? Is your food hot enough? Do you need any hot sauce? That's waiting on somebody. So when we're supposed to be waiting on the Lord, we don't just sit there and wait for the next move of God. We wait on him. Lord, what do you need? Lord, what do you want? Lord, where can I go? Lord, how do I give? Lord, how do I get my finances right? Lord, help me understand your word. Lord, is there somebody I can outreach to? Lord, is there something I can do in the kingdom? Does the church need to be cleaned? Are there kids that need to be helped? Lord, let me wait on you. And then the next wave comes in. But so many Christians are not waiting on the Lord. They're waiting back in their old lives. The little floaty on. So you don't even have to use your legs. You're just sitting there. See, they didn't catch anything, even though they were professional fishers before. They didn't catch a single thing all night out there. You know why? Because once you've begun living beyond the grave with the risen Lord, the old things that you used to do will not produce any fruit anymore. You won't, it won't produce anything for you because you've had a taste of the real thing now. You can go back if you want to. You won't be happy. You'll be more depressed. You'll be more frustrated. It'll take more to get you loaded. It used to just be this, and now it takes more. You know why? Because even though that's who you used to be and what you used to do, you can keep casting your net over there, and you'll catch nothing. Your new life has to be on this side of the grave. Jesus says, hey, cast your net on this side. 
cast your net on this side. And then they take up all this fish, more than they can even really hold. The net should have broke, but it didn't break. You know why? Jesus is reminding them, and he's reminding you and I. He says, listen, you, those things, that fish, that used to be what your whole life was about. You woke up to fish. You went to bed fishing. That's how you made your money. That's how you took care of yourself. Everything revolved around fishing, and it took all of your focus and all of your energy and all of your effort. Jesus says, on this side of the grave, that's the easy stuff. You want fish? I could do that all day. That ain't nothing to me. You want fish? Cast it on this side. Bam, more fish than you've ever caught in one time in your whole life. Why? Because those things that used to run your life are the easy things on this side of life. It's easy for him. Peter realizes that it's Jesus, right? He's like, oh, man, I'm over here waiting, and I should be over there waiting on the Lord. I know it's him. The disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, who's writing, says, hey, that's Jesus. I don't even have to see him closely. I know from what he's given us that that's him. Peter says, I'm out. Jumps out of the boat and starts swimming to Jesus. The rest of the disciples are like, hey, it's not that far. Just, just row it on in. Just row it on in. See, Peter was the first one to get to Jesus this time. But you know when, when they first heard from the women that he was risen from the dead, they went running to the tomb, and the same two, Peter and John, took off running, and John beat them. The Bible says that John got there, and he was, let me go over here to the tomb. It says that John got there, and he started peeking in. Oh, man, he's not in there. I, I see the grave cloths. I see some stuff, but, but he's not in there. And like five minutes later, Peter comes. He looks in, and then Peter goes in. John's standing outside, but John was first, and Peter goes in. This time, they see the same two. John's like, hey, Peter, that's Jesus. I know it's him. Peter dives into the water and starts swimming. You know why? Because Peter was a better swimmer than he was a runner. You know what's going to be the truth in your testimony? There are some people who are going to be better runners, and some people are going to be better swimmers. Sometimes you're going to get there first. Sometimes you're going to get there second. Sometimes you're going to get there last. Sometimes you're going to be good at something that others are not good at, and sometimes they're going to be good at something that you're not good at. Don't use that as something to discourage you. Don't use that as something to put other people down. The key is getting there. And the key is once you do get there, go all the way in. It don't matter if you're first or last if you get there and you don't go all the way in and into the other side. Peter says, I don't care. I'm jumping into the water. And he swims to the Lord. Let's finish up. Last four verses. Verse 15 of John 21. They, they had eaten breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hand and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. 
This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So Jesus tells him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's really important for Peter. Here's why. On this side of the grave, on this side of the resurrection, Peter denied him three times. I don't know him. I've never seen him before. I was not with him. I don't want anything to do with him. And then the rooster crows, and he begins to weep. See, but thank God that there's life beyond the grave. Thank God that Jesus went to the cross. Peter was demoralized. Peter was a denier. Peter, Peter did not live up to what he said he was going to live up to. But in the resurrection, here he is, sitting with the Lord again, having breakfast together. It's a real relationship. And he says, hey, do you love me? You know I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do, you, do you. do you love me? You know everything. You know that I love you. See, Peter, on that side of the grave, you were a failure and you denied me. But in the resurrection, your salvation and your love for me is confirmed. I have life and life abundantly over here for you. And then he reminds them of how we started our series, the first prayer we had. Verse 19, Jesus spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. He told Peter, listen. Tend my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. What he's saying is, take care of the people, love the brethren, right? And he says, you're going you're gonna to die in a way, when you were younger, you did what Peter wanted to do. You did what Vaughn wanted to do. You girded yourself and you took off going wherever you wanted to go. He says, but when you get older in the faith, when you get older in your walk with me, you're going to stretch out your arms and somebody else is going to gird you and take you where you don't want to go. And he says, it's signifying by what death that you're going to die. You know, Peter was crucified, just like Jesus was. And then he said, crucify me upside down because I don't deserve to be crucified right side up like the Lord. I'm sure he didn't want that to happen to him, just like none of us want something like that to happen to us. But we're reminded how we started. Christ says to Peter in this moment, in the 40 days of his risenness, he says, beware of a Christianity where Christ does all the dying. Beware of a Christianity where Christ does all the dying. Peter, listen. If you love me, take care of the people. If you love me, be prepared to do some dying. I'm not the only one that's going to the cross. I'm not the only one that's going to the grave. But also beware of a Christianity where Christ does all the living beyond the grave. I'm not going to be the one that does all the living beyond the grave, he says. Lay down your life for them just like I've laid down my life for you. Go to church. Somebody say amen. Amen. Let's stand. Worship team, would you come? Praise the Lord.